0: I grew, up, I grew up in western Montana. Uh, it's beautiful. It has wonderful mountains. I was talking to Bruce about it this morning. Um, and it was just it's a nice place to grow up. Eastern Montana is a little bit different. You know, less mountains. More rolling hills and a section of ground that we called the Badlands. Because we didn't think too highly of it. But when I, was at, when I was in high school, we went on a trip, just my family and I. And one of the places my parents had to stop was an Indian Native American heritage site. And they had a bunch of teepees set up out in the, um, on the grounds. And there's, you know, informational cards that you could go and read. And as we're getting ready to go, my younger brother is walking back towards the van. And he's almost gotten to the parking lot when he, he does this jump. Like, imagine what it's like when someone walks into a spider's web that you don't see, and they just start freaking out for no reason? It was like that, only better. And we just laughed at him, and we're like, what is wrong with you? You look ridiculous. And he says, there's a snake in the bush. And we're like, oh, Adam being Adam. My dad's like, Adam, there's no snake in the bush. He's like, dad, there's a snake. And so my father, I thought it was pretty good, he's going to call the bluff. So it's a gravel parking lot, and so he reaches down, grabs his handful of gravel, and throws it into the bush. And then all of a sudden we hear it. (laughs) Now, I'm not much one for sound effects, but what we heard was the unmistakable rattle of a Western diamondback rattlesnake, letting us know that if we did not leave him alone, someone was going to get bit. We went in and we got the guy who worked at the, the Heritage site, and he came out with this long snake catching pole. Apparently, this is regular in Montana. Again, much prefer the mountains. Uh, and he pulls out of this bush this rattlesnake. It, it's a small one, it's only about this long. And I'll be honest, guys, I don't like snakes. I, I can kind of handle a picture. You know, I can, behind glass, we're fine. But if there's nothing between me and that thing, except a few yards of open ground, uh uh-uh. No way, Jose. But I will say this, I am grateful for that rattle. Like, just imagine a snake without it. Like, oh, we're going to go ninja assassin on you guys, and no warning whatsoever, just and you're dead. We call those snakes black mambas, they live in Africa, and I never want to see one in my life, but... You know, rattlesnakes, they have a rattle because they don't actually want to bite you. They want to be left alone. And if you will just leave them alone, they will leave you alone. Now, I don't like snakes. Some of you guys, I'm assuming, like snakes even less. So let's go back to this slide uh, just to talk about it. Because you guys know some people that might have a rattle, and you guys know some people you wish had some sort of warning sign before they hit the enough point. There's a a comedian named Mark Lowry who one time joked that he wished that every mother had installed right here in the nape of the neck a little red light that would just start flashing 10 seconds before enough. He's like, you can make a lot of tracks in 10 seconds. But this morning, we're going to be dealing with an apostle who's just about had enough. If Paul was a snake, his rattle would be shaking and he's letting a church know that if they don't change what they're doing, they're going to deal with the business end of his apostleship. Now we've been going through 1st and 2nd Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is really nice. It divides easily into three sections, 1 through 7, 8 through 9, and then 10 through 13. And, and throughout the whole letter of 2nd Corinthians, Paul has been defending his apostleship telling that God has made him a minister of the new covenant, that that their conduct has been completely above board and, as far as Paul knows, utterly blameless. Everything that he's done has been for this church is good. But the first seven chapters, they are warm and they are kind. And it seems that Paul is trying to strengthen up those people within the church who have affirmed that they care about Paul and they love him. Eight and nine, Trevor and uh, Claire Marie did just an awesome job going over those uh, passages the last two weeks, on giving, about this gift that they were going to put together for the Jerusalem church. And then 10 through 13, the tone changes very sharply. So sharply, in fact, that some people have said, these are not even one letter. These are like two totally different letters that have been put together. And I don't think that's right. But the tone does shift because Paul goes from, you know, Comforting those who have affirmed their love to going after the people who want to make out that Paul's not a genuine apostle. These teachers that have come into the Corinthian community that they're so impressed with, they've got that letter of recommendation and they make um, all sorts of claims about them being genuine Hebrews and true Israelites and they're actual apostles. And well, Paul's just not. You know, he didn't charge for his services. He's not a real apostle. And that just makes Paul angry. And and Paul understands, again, it's not about him. It's about the church. Like, he was a church planter. He came and he presented to them the message of Jesus Christ. These people were saved. But if all of a sudden the messenger is declared unfit, then the message becomes unfit and the entire church becomes unfit. And he wants nothing to do with that. So this morning we get to deal with an apostle who begins to show his teeth, and he's going to show it for about four chapters. This morning he's going to be talking about boasting and about authority. Uh, next week, chapter 11, we're going to switch up the verses a little bit. We're going to go eleven one through 15. So a small correction to your uh, bookmarks for those of you who are using those. Um, and Paul's going to talk about counterfeits, false Jesuses and false gospels. And then Paul is going to go on this wonderful parody where he is going to adopt the persona of a fool and just mock all the standards that these other people put so much emphasis in. And then in chapter 13, he concludes with a, I am coming, and when I show up, we're gonna deal with things, good or bad. And it's up to you guys. So that's kind of where we're going. But here in chapter 10, The tone changes and Paul begins, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, which is Paul's just modus operandi. He looks to Christ and he imitates what he sees Jesus doing. By Jesus's humility and gentleness, I appeal to you, me, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when away. Look, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. You can just see the warning light beginning to flash here. Like, I don't, I don't want to have to show up like that. And maybe it translates to standards of, sorry, let me point down here for you on camera, standards of the world. Um, other translations will lead according to the flesh. Just the way that humans operate. We're not not operating in the spirit of God. They accuse us of being underhanded and deceitful and tricking people, just like everyone else in the world. And he says, for though we live in the world, I mean, we're we're humans like everyone else, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. God-assisted strength to demolish strongholds. And now he's going to tell us what those are. We demolish, not people, but arguments. We demolish arguments in every pretension, every high and lofty thought that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul and his apostles are coming after not people, but the ideas of the world that lead people astray. And they are going to drag them out and have it out with them until every thought becomes obedient to Jesus Christ. But this authority and these weapons God has given, they can be used against people. He says, we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Which I love. You, just, you know this guy cares about these people. And the picture that I always get here in verse six is of with my kids, sometimes I give them an instruction. Like, you need to clean up your blocks and no one moves. Like, okay, if I get there into your room and you guys haven't finished cleaning up your blocks, there will be consequences. And then here I come. And I just, the slow march of intimidation of a dad coming down the hallway. And all of a sudden, the fear of me pop into their eyes and they begin hustling. And they're trying to get the blocks into the bin, but I said, you have to have them cleaned up and they're not quite going to make it. And so all of a sudden, I start the slow walk because I don't actually want to punish them. I just want those blocks cleaned up. And, you know, it's just amazing how much I, how I can time it to, by the time I enter the room, the last block has just been put into the bin. You know, it's a threat. And it's one that has teeth, but it's not one that I actually want to carry out. And I think that's what Paul's doing. Like, guys, come on. I will be ready to punish every act of disobedience, but please just make sure that your obedience is complete first so I don't actually have to punish anyone. And now he's going after his accusers and the fact that this Corinthian church has been playing into him. Like, you guys are judging by appearances. You're just looking at outward standards. See, if anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider, again, that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. Like, the standards that you're using, like, Paul fits them. He, he has all the credentials that you care about. He just doesn't care about them. He says, even if, even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority that the lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing down i'm not going to be ashamed of it i don't want to seem to be frightening you with my letters because again some people say oh his letters are weighty and forceful but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing like paul is this internet troll who's so scary from a safe distance but the moment he shows up in person you're like is this it Like, I am sorely unimpressed. But Paul responds, such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we're absent, we will be in our actions when we're present. We don't dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves, they are not, and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. Like, these these people... And we don't know who they are, but we're, we're just putting this picture together based on what Paul has said. Like, these people seem to have come up with their own standards of judgment. Like, um, yeah, like, this is, this is what I did last time, and this is what I did this time, and that's way better. So I am a really good apostle. I'm really impressive. And Paul says, that's as dumb as a bunch of you and your friends driving down the freeway and saying that you're staying with the flow of traffic and driving at 25 miles an hour over the speed limit. Like your standards, you might be doing just fine according to them. They just don't matter because you're not the authority figures here. We wouldn't dare do that. He says, we, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but we're going to confine our boasting to the sphere of service that God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. You're in this. Because we're not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did get as far as Christ, and neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting in work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand, so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. We don't want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory. Which is what these guys were doing, like they were the latecomers to the game. Kid whose mom, you know, got him out of the house too late, so he shows up to this, you know, little league game at the second half of the ninth inning, and the coach sends him into the outfield, and he stands there for 12 minutes, and the game's done, and he wants to celebrate with the Capri Suns and the fruit roll-ups like everybody else, and claims that he won the game. It's like, no, dude, you did nothing, and you're wanting to throw the party as if you're something special. You you have encroached upon territory that. Is not yours, and you're boasting about stuff that you didn't do. And so Paul responds, Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. It's not the one who commends himself who's approved, it's the one whom the Lord commends. And with that, Paul just kind of reveals his cards. He's like, We don't dare do what they're doing. They are taking credit and they're putting themselves in the place of judgment. That's Jesus's job. We don't touch that. Like we wouldn't we wouldn't touch that if you skipped all protocols and went to the triple dog dare you, we're not doing that. We're going to boast only in Jesus. You know, trying to take glory from God, like that's way worse than making a bomb threat going through airport security. Like this is just not a joking matter. Like what they're doing is just the height of foolishness and Paul is going to expose that foolishness in a beautiful way here uh, in a couple chapters. But as we look through this passage, like, you know, Paul is sounding the warning light. He's letting them know, I'm on my way, and, and I hope I don't have to behave the way that I think I need to behave. And what these people are doing is terrible, and you're letting them do it. And so if we're going to summarize what's going on, I'd, I'd say two things. One, Paul reminds us, we should boast only in Jesus only in Jesus. And the second thing I see is that we should seek to use our authority like Jesus's example. Like, boast only in Jesus and seek to be like him in our use of authority. So, two different sections. Uh, If you remember one thing, remember this, boast only in the Lord. That's the one that actually matters. All right? And what does that look like? I mean, first of all, Paul recognized, Paul is just seeing things the way they are. He understands that everything that he has is a gift from God. Like, look at what God has done for us. Why would we take credit for ourselves? We're not something spectacular, Jesus is. And we see examples of this all throughout Scripture. Like, you you don't touch God's glory and you don't take credit for something that God has done. I mean, inauguration of the tabernacle. Don't go messing with God's glory. Um, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 72 disciples with power to heal and a gospel message to proclaim. Yeah, speaking of authority and, uh, and using it. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, bud. Um, Jesus sends out 72 people and they go out and they are amazed because at their word, people are healed. And at their word, demons themselves submit to the name of Jesus. And so these disciples, having this amazing spiritual experience, come back rejoicing, and they're ecstatic, and like, Jesus, even the demons submit to us. And Jesus responds to them and says, Don't rejoice that demons submit to you. Rejoice, rather, that your names are written in heaven. Like, if you understood what God is giving you and the salvation he's bringing, you'd understand that that these things are really not worth boasting in. Or we see in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they're going into the temple, and there's a man who can't walk he has not walked for four decades. And they tell him, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And this man, for the first time in four decades, goes into the temple, walking, leaping, praising God. And this huge crowd gathers together, and they're amazed. And Peter and John are looking at each other like, why are you guys looking at us? As if somehow by our power we made this man well? Huh. Just... Just let it be known to you and everyone else that it's at the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the king that you crucified, that God raised from the dead. It's through his name that this man has been made well. Like, we're just the messenger boys here. This isn't our power. It doesn't come from us, but we do get to deliver it. Why would we boast in anything else other than the Lord? And this boasting in the Lord, we've seen it before. Sorry, that's pretty small for you guys to read, but it's a quote from the prophet Jeremiah. And it says, this is what Yahweh, this is what I am who I am, the Eternal One says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom, or the powerful boast in their power, or the rich boast in their riches. Those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know and understand that I am Yahweh, who demonstrates unfailing love. And who brings justice and righteousness to the earth. And that I delight in these things. I, Yahweh, have spoken. This is what our God has invited us to do. Know who he is. And if we understand that, then then there's no reason any of us are going to try to take credit for ourselves. So what would that look like for us? I mean, a, a few things. If you boast only in the Lord, then you know that... God's standard is the only one that matters, so we're not going to let ourselves be tricked into using worldly standards of our success. It's not about, you know, how much money we've given, how much time we've invested. Like, those metrics, while good, are not the standard by which we'll judge. Jesus is the standard by which he will judge us, and we don't know. Paul was able to tell the Corinthian church, like, I don't know of anything against myself. Like, as far as I can think, in my motives, in my actions, I am blameless. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because God is the one who's going to judge me. And so Paul lives in this tension of the fear of the Lord. And maybe some of us need to get a little bit scared. We live in a culture that we're kind of used to being watched at this point, between governments and satellites and, you know, companies stealing our, our information over our phones. Like we just kind of assume we're being watched all the time and it's become not a big deal but it's a big deal. Like, everything that we do will face judgment. Others of us maybe need to be reminded about how good this news is, how good it is that God, in the midst of our failures and and our blow-ups and the bad things that we do, loved us enough to give us His Son. I I don't know when the last time you guys just blew it really badly. Maybe it was only a couple days ago, maybe it was a long time ago, and you just know like the pain, the guilt, the shame that comes from like not being the kind of person that you need to be, that you know you need to be, and that the other people know that you need to be too, and being able to recognize that God loves you right there, that he knows all about it, and that in his eyes you are not, you know, Jordan the screw-up, you're not Eric, the mess up, you are not Paul, the failure. You are Eric, his son whom he loves, who is righteous with the righteousness of Christ. You are Paul, who has a part in a family and an inheritance that will never fade and it will never fail. God loves us. And if we just think about that, it might change the way we sing this morning. It might, it might change the way that we live and the things that we're going to spend our time on. Like, what would it take for us to actually boast in Jesus? And I will admit that this is perhaps an area that I have not given nearly enough thought to. Because for me, the second part about, uh, sorry, about um, using our authority like Jesus has kind of been a little bit closer to my heart. And what I mean is this, and it's subtle, but let's just go through the passage real quick. So Paul begins saying, look, I don't want to be bold against you guys like I might have to be. All right, so let's just be real here. I've got kids, and if you're on camera, I don't know that you can hear he's playing the drum set right now, and it's just really distracting. And this child is under my authority from God, and I have a choice and what to do. And one of the choices that I made this morning is that I value worshiping with my family, and I want them here. And so I invited my wife to say, bring the kids, and if they're distracting, they're going to be distracting. But it's important that we learn how to worship God as a family. And this little guy uh, right here is awesome, and he's a gift. And I get to learn to try to be like Jesus to him. So thank you for giving me an example today. Please go sit down and be quiet. Yeah, so Paul says, like, I, don't, I don't want to be bold. He goes on to say, look, we can punish acts of disobedience. we just like to wait till you guys have completed your obedience. He says, the Lord has given me authority for a reason, to build you up, not to tear you down. I'm not going to be ashamed of it. This sphere that God has given me of authority has you in it. And I'm going to confine my boasting to that sphere, and I will not go beyond it because I'm going to boast in the Lord and the Lord alone. We see Paul daring to use the authority that he has in order to serve others. He's, He's imitating Jesus. You know, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, knowing that God had given him all authority, takes his shirt off, puts a towel around his waist, and washes dirty disciple feet. And we see Paul choosing not to use his authority and not to use his power for his own personal gain, but to serve the church. He sees them even at times choosing not to take action where actions needed to be taken. Like, I'm just going to put the pause on me doing what I have the right to do in hopes that you guys can figure things out. Like, what a gift that we might choose to not use the full extent of our rights and authorities in order to love and serve others. And And authority is a scary thing for us. You know, we we live in a world that, you know, the old quote, absolute power corrupts absolutely. You know, and we see people abusing their power all over the place, using it for for their own good and and to hurt people and, and to build themselves up. And it's right for us to look at that and say Jesus would call us against that. Jesus would call us to lay down our rights and to lay down our authority in order to love and serve other people. That's what authority is actually for it's for the good of others. But some of us, and this is where I'm tempted, fall too far off on the other side, where we actually want to abdicate the authority that God has given us. We want, we're, we're so afraid that we're going to abuse it that we want to pretend like we don't have it. And that's also a mistake. And the example of Paul and Christ would call us to actually use our authority that the Lord has given us to build others up. So some of us, parents, Included, like God has given you your children, and you are responsible for them, and don't abuse them, but don't abdicate your authority. Work with managers, you, I don't know what of authority you might have in your life, but there are two sides you both fall on. Don't abuse and don't abdicate it. Rather, be like Christ, and use what God has given you in order to build others up. And that's something that I'm personally working on, even this morning. But again, if you're going to remember one thing, remember to boast only in Jesus. And then if you want to remember the other thing, use your authority like Christ and imitate him. Because Paul is sounding the warning light. And he's going to show up and he's going to deal with stuff because it needs dealt with. But he'd much rather not go there. I heard a story uh, secondhand about Billy Graham, the, the late evangelist. I'm told that when he was just starting out in his ministry, there had been other evangelists that had come and gone who had really gotten in trouble. They had begun using the gospel as a means of gathering a massive amount of wealth for themselves. There have been major public moral failures that have, you know, tarnished the reputation of Jesus in society. And there's people who are get, you know, out there for public affirmation and to get attention for themselves. And so when they were talking, Billy said, we have a rule and we don't touch the gold. We leave the money alone and we don't touch the girls. We leave them alone and we don't touch the glory, the glory that belongs to God. And it's a good rule because the one who boasts should boast only in Jesus. And if we really understood who Jesus is and what he's done for us, we wouldn't want to boast about anything else either. And when we look to our Savior and the way that he has loved and served us and what he's done for us, I hope that we can be like him in the way that we use authority. Because Christ did come, meek, gentle, and mild, not to judge the world, but to save it, to seek and to save the lost and to give his life as a ransom for many. But Christ is coming. He will at one point return and all will stand before him for judgment. There is a business end to our king. Paul knows it and he's living in light of that. I hope that we'll know it too. So in the meantime and today, let us boast. Boast in Jesus and Jesus alone and be like him in our use of authority. Guys, let me pray for you. Gracious Father, thank you for what you've done uh, for us in your Son. God, I thank you that you are unlike any God we have heard of. You who choose to give generously, to, to show your glory in how much you can bless and how much you can give. Father, that to, to a creation that had fallen uh, away from you, that had rejected you, and was living in, in open uh, rebellion and hostility to you and your ways, you chose to love and bless enough to send that which is most dear to you. You sent us your son to die in order that we might be saved, to come and seek us though we were lost and wandering and astray. God, I thank you for Jesus and I pray that that we here in Family of Grace, both in person and online, would think about you today, that we would live in the fear of you and seek to be holy like you, that we would imitate Christ in the way that we behave towards others, in the way that we use our authority, in the way that we graciously choose to give up our rights and privileges so that other people might be blessed. Father, it's, it's hard, but I pray that more than anything, you would dazzle us by the goodness of your grace and that your son would be so amazing to us that we would just wouldn't boast in anything else. Let him be what we're talking about. In Jesus' name, amen.